say whatever. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Welcome to another episode of the Art MBS Podcast, the podcast by artists, for artists, and art lovers. I'm your host, James Drills. We are recording again. Uh, we're back in Broadway Studios, everybody, holding it down, episode 42. And yeah, we got my homie. Uh, but real quick, before we get to the introduction, a little bit housekeeping. Shouts to listeners on the web, those on Apple Podcasts, iTunes Desktop, holding us down. We appreciate you guys. Spotify, family, keep it going. Keep the follows happening. The few cats over on Google, man, I see you guys. Um, yeah, and all the other, um, whether you're listening on like Overcast, iHeartRadio, whatever uh, way you get us, man, we appreciate it. Also... The book is gone. If you guys are looking to get some merch, uh, we have Teespring going so we can get some podcasting gear, get your hoodies up, get your socks, your crew necks, all that good stuff. Um, shout outs to the Batkin Custom Framery. If you're in the market for some high quality frames, hit up Nigel. He also has those super baller um, artifacts panels. They got the ACM, which is aluminum composite composite material they got lead prime they got oil primed and then i believe he has those copper unprimed joints man if you want something real fancy hit my dude up over at the vatican.com so we're here we're back another episode we got justin in the place justin how y'all how i pronounce your last name mcalese mcalese justin mcalese how are you doing today justin fantastic yeah cool. feeling good man art ops tonight we got a broadway simmering over here it's really good yeah, fantastic. So now, Justin, I always I have a general question that I like to ask our our uh, family members and our future alumni because we're gonna put you through the ringer, and then after this, you'll be art and bullshit alumni. So, what was your first memory seeing art? Ooh, that's a tough question. Um, I would have to say that my first memory seeing art was just living up in the mountains and just seeing how the purple majesty like from the song and I didn't even realize that until after the fact but like America the Beautiful there's a spot on my property my parents property up there where it just hits the mountains just perfectly mm-hmm. and you get that like purple deep strong color and just like that idea even as a child I think I had sort of understood that that was like something that was a little bit magical and that was artistic in its own way no one created that per se but that it had a gravity that I couldn't express any other way and like therefore that has to be art mm. yeah and I didn't really I couldn't put that into words or anything by mm-hmm. then but I was like that's good I like that thing yeah yeah that's wow. so naturally the landscape just grabbed you yeah for sure and just like an oak tree mm-hmm. like that's art just an oak tree how it is and that's that's why you can take a black and white picture of an oak tree and just like it's so iconic and you understand what it is and it has age and you're gonna sort of When you describe that naturally, you're going to equate it to a person a lot of times. Like, it's a gnarled old man. It's lived a bunch of lives. It's it's there hanging strong. You know, it's it's gone through a lot and has these tendrils coming out that seem like they have age to them and have um, sort of some respectability and and history and responsibility for keeping the leaves going and the whole structure intact. Like, that's how we relate to art, and I think there's a lot of that – that can come directly from nature so that we can understand how that all interacts when we go about creating it later. Mm, yeah, I hear it. And that's, that is, the oak tree is a, that's a wonderful analogy. So, okay, so the purple majesty that, you know, that holds a deep place in your heart. So 
you know, for those who don't know, why don't you kind of tell the people what type of um, business you're into? Because I don't want to spoil it too much because I, I, I would like for you to kind of explain your sure. relationship with art and how it goes. Yeah, so uh, I'm a filmmaker by trade and I have a video production company called Blair Media. Mm -hmm. And so we do a ton of different stuff. And some of that is corporate videos, some of it's music videos. We do, um, uh, we're going to do commercials, 30 second spots, movies, TV shows short films so we run the whole gamut and there's a lot in that and we bounce around between all those different things which are very different um, distinctive reasons why you would make any choices that you make and so I think that keeps it fresh mm -hmm. and sometimes I don't want to do corporate videos but a lot of times I sort of don't mind because it also you don't have to give quite as much of yourself you get to go in there and be a technician and do something you're pretty good at and so you can crank something out that is of high quality without having to put yourself out there as much as you would have to do if you created something from scratch that was like you were vouching for. Mm -hmm. So I think that's I think that's an interesting thing that you get to do when you have a company that does a lot of different types of media mm -hmm. or a lot of different types of video at least is not quite have to break your balls every time you want to be like, hey, this is my idea and this is funny so we should do it. Because mm -hmm. that's, that's hard at right. some point. You know, when you're just like cranking out um, when, when you're trying to crank out a bunch of, say, like sketches or something or a bunch of funny commercials or a short film or whatever and you're like, hey, this is great. Let's all do it. Let's all get on board and let's do it for less than less money than you would normally do because this is coming out of our budget or it's a smaller budget or whatever. You know, you, you get the opportunity to do things that you can execute at a fairly high level without having to invest yourself in, in the same type of way. Mm. And that's really good, I think. So I, I think it's I think it's important, even talking to you before the show, about how being able to do stuff that you know is people are gonna want and people are gonna probably buy. Mm -hmm. And that's not necessarily selling out or anything like that. That's like creating in yourself the ability to go do the other things you want to do afterwards. Mm. Yeah. So that's yeah. just actually making you stronger in a different sort of way. If that's all you ever do at some point, mm -hmm. it's some bullshit that you didn't really believe in, but it was for <laughs> someone else, then that's a different thing. But that's not what you're talking about. As long as you use that to inform your choices of the things you really want to do at the time, mm -hmm. then I think that's very valuable. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now I, now I want to... You know, I want to go back a little bit and I want to ask you, does the creative gene run in your family? Um, yeah, my dad um, made clocks. So Ooh. he would make stuff out of burl wood. So, you know, either redwood that washed up on shore or fig wood that we would buy down here or that we would go collect down here in the fig fields uh -huh. or what they call buckeye that would come out of the ground. So um, those are uh, the, the big... Um, the roots of the tree, essentially, burls. Um, so he would make a variety of things out of those clocks and, and creative stuff, and he was sort of always looking at a new way to do that or make a table or make a, uh, a big stand-up pendulum clock or whatever it happens to be. Mm -hmm. so, so, yeah, there's creativity there. And then my mom has always been, you know, done a little guitar playing, done a little sort of poetry writing, done a little painting, little, little things here and there just to you know, flex those muscles mm -hmm. and she's definitely creative in her, her own way. So yeah, I mean, they're not like artists in the traditional sense to where they could put their stuff on a wall. My dad, I guess mm -hmm. it's a clock. That's a craft. Yeah. Like, it's it's, a craft. So it is art. That is art. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Woodworking. But I mean, they definitely, um, uh, saw something important in that 
since I was a child. Right. They, they so, made that clear. Now, were you helping Pops on the clocks? Like, was he? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So I would, I wasn't doing the creative part of it necessarily. Mm-hmm. I was mainly doing, you know, it's, it's a process that was like, depending on when you want to start. From picking out the going and getting the wood to picking out the wood to having the final product, maybe maybe there's 25 steps or something. Mm-hmm. And so I would do like six of those steps, mm-hmm. and I would do a bunch of those, um, make a bunch of clocks, and then we would sell those or do whatever we we're doing, and then I would do other steps on other processes. Okay. Yeah. Now was he doing uh, the clocks f- like one from start to finish, or was he doing them like three or four at a time on a small assembly line sort of deal? Yeah, small assembly line, I guess it's a better way to look at it. So if we were doing, say, like like the size of the pictures in your in your room here that are mm-hmm. maybe a foot by two feet or something, or mm-hmm. 16 inches by 18 inches, something like that, we would maybe do, you know, 15 of those at a time. So we would take a big four by eight sheet of plywood and he would put nails through it. He put like three inch nails through it Mm -hmm. and then put another piece of plywood on the other side. And then you would have a bed of nails that you could set everything on inside this specially crafted room and you would do all the resining in there. So all the resining happens at the same time in the resin room and you needed something to be able to paint them, the resin on them and soak them and all that stuff to where it wasn't, um, getting anywhere and it wasn't making it stick to whatever it was on so that was what we did the bed of nails for Mm. and so that worked out pretty well but you would do you know 10 or 15 clocks at a time if they were those size you would basically fill up you'd saturate that area with um, clocks that were getting resin and then curing and whatever other process needed to happen in that room Mm. yeah yeah, that's hard, man. So at a very young age, you were seeing the value of hard work, sure. the value of actually participating in a craft, totally. you know, and, and and how a product goes from A to Z. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's important is seeing all the steps that have to happen to get there and then going in and optimizing each one of those steps to where like, should we make 50 of these at once or should we just do five? Because when you do 50... You got stuff stacked somewhere that's getting messed up or whatever it happens to be. So you're always trying to see which parts of that chain of reaction are best to slow down or speed up or add more to or take out less of. And I think like you were talking about Nigel, he goes through a lot of that at Vatican is mm-hmm. figuring out, you know, how the best way to make these frames, even though a lot of them are very sort of specific and those are works of art in themselves that you can't really just do 20 of them at a time. Mm-hmm. True. Right. But some of them, he can do 20 of them at a time. And so mm-hmm. I think there's, there's always the sort of encumbrance of that situation of deciding how best to execute whatever you need to execute and still be efficient but still have the time to make it exactly how you want it. Yeah, man. While we're on the on the subject, shout out to the entrepreneurs. Keep that schedule filled. Nine to fivers, keep those AirPods in so your boss ain't tripping. You know it's really good. Also, smoke it if you got it, drink it if you got it. So, now Justin, um, you know what's what's interesting, because we're we're gonna go all over the map here, but I do wanna talk about um Okay, so because we we there's a bunch of stuff to cover here, and I think one thing that I because you touched on it, and I want to get to this before it gets too far. What you said, like we do music videos, yeah. you've done music videos, and you've done. Uh, I saw oh, you had worked on a video for one of my favorite albums. I would say if I had to put like my top fifty album list. Deltron 3030 would probably be one that would be in that particular album. I saw you had worked on some Deltron project, correct? 
Yeah, so Deltron, absolutely, and me too. That's one of my favorite, certainly, hip-hop albums of all time. Mm -hmm. You know, top ten of that. And um, that was, so there was a website called Genero.tv, and they had this situation to where you could make a video, and then they would basically see if the uh, artist wanted to buy it. Mm. So it was part of a competition. So that's what we did. So we didn't have access to Dell. Okay. Uh, you know, I've been to Dell concerts and stuff like mm -hmm. that, but I didn't know Dell. So I found out about the, and it was for his upcoming album, which was the... Um, the second the sequel. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, the sequel to mm -hmm. 3030. And so we put together a music video from start to finish in about a week and a half, two weeks or something, which was really short for what we were did. And it, for what we wanted to accomplish and it was pretty intricate how we were doing it and it was a bunch of effects and it was um that was that was a hell of a week and we were super tired and mad props to jason wada who was uh, our editor at the time and he did an incredible job of like putting all these effect shots in and making something out of nothing and we didn't sleep for four days or whatever it was i mean that was that was a weekend so we got it done just in time and all that and People on the uh, people on the platform really loved it. Like mm -hmm. we got way more, um, way more you know likes or comments or whatever whatever you have there. Way more views than every other video. And then we basically were in the top two. Mm -hmm. And then they ended up choosing a different video. Mm, so okay. that was a bummer. Okay. I don't know exactly why the other video was very different than ours. Okay. Um, but I don't think it was anywhere near the crowd pleaser that they had mm -hmm. um, so yeah Dell didn't specifically use our video in the end I wish okay. they would have it was a spec joint okay. but what we did do is we ended up through that um, process on that actual uh, platform they can sell the video so like we ended up having the video sold and fitting onto a, a different music video oh wow yeah so some other musician that had that we had never heard their music had no idea of them uh -huh. they bought the video and then they put it on their thing and so that was their video from then on out oh wow yeah so we got paid for that after the fact which was really cool that's hard like two years later mm. yeah it was a trip so that was cool you know you don't usually get emails that be like hey someone wants your thing that you worked on a long time ago that didn't work out here's a thousand bucks and we're like oh damn so yeah. yeah i tried to spread that around to the people that helped worked on it on the time because yeah, you know that was, that was part of the deal for sure well they say you know with every seed of a Diversity, there's one of equal benefit. Yeah, I think that's for sure true, and uh, and I'm still happy about that music video today. I mean, mm -hmm. We did that eight years ago or so. Wow. I don't even know. Okay, and uh, I, it's still one of my favorite pieces. So, okay, I mean, I think I think you always assume that the stuff you do in the future will be better, but I think there's also some. You know, what I mean, it's still just paint mm -hmm. on a piece of canvas, right? Like you'll be better, but that doesn't mean that all the things that went into that specific painting at that specific time will be matched. Mm. And so maybe you did something early in your career that you think is really good. Maybe it still is really good. Maybe it's better than what you're doing now because it has like this culmination of iconic ideas that like just led to that one moment. And that moment just happens to be a really good moment. Mm. Maybe you could execute it a little bit better now or it'd be like slightly different feel or whatever, but that doesn't mean that it wasn't great for what it was. And so I think that was, one of those high watermarks of what we were doing was to make that music video and have it be something you're like, damn, that's still pretty hot. Yeah. Like eight years later, I still mm -hmm. like that thing. Yeah. So. Yeah, man. So I saw like, you, didn't you do one for Young Buck though? Didn't you do a video for like Young Buck? Or we something? worked on a Young Buck video up in Seattle, but he was just a feature. Okay. okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was okay. a dude uh, um, up there that had two or three other, uh, Wildcat. Okay. Right? What's his name? 
Battle Cat. Battle Cat was one of them. And then um, uh, another couple dudes that I wasn't totally familiar with. But, mm-hmm. yeah, we were balling out for two days or whatever, <laughs> up there in Lamborghinis and whatnot, pretending to be, yeah. pretending to be big shit. So, Scaggly cool. Eddie. Yeah, stuff's always funny, man. And we, did, like, we didn't have the location that we wanted, so we ended up shooting in you know, this old abandoned warehouse, and it was just like this goofy stuff. Mm-hmm. But, you, you know, what's good about those things is there's uh, – there's enough of a template to make a music video, especially rap video, um, pop that I I'm, I'm decent at that template. So mm-hmm. and and it you don't you don't really feel like you're like man am I just making the same music video for these guys and they're like that's what that dude wants he mm-hmm. wants that video mm-hmm. that feels like this is a real video like everyone else's video that's what I like about it you know so you got to kind of serve your master whoever that happens to be and um, people. People want the same thing but different, you know, mm. in everything, yeah, in all type of art, mm-hmm. in all stories. They want the same story, only a little bit different. Yeah. And whether they want to admit that or not, that's they don't know. Because I think that's like that's such a primal, intrinsic thing about storytelling of how they want a story to tell any given person is that they don't, they can't, um, they can't actually put into words exactly what they want. But when they see it, they know that that's what they want, mm-hmm. and those things are all built on the same tropes so you can extend that out to a music video or a painting of a some some uh, fucking bananas in a bowl you know what i mean people still want the same thing at the end of the day they want something that tells a story something that harkens back to maybe their youth or to what they find important Mm -hmm. they still want something that really speaks to them and and there's a universality of language that you have to approach if you're going to get something that speaks to a lot of people yeah yeah, man. Well, well stated. So, outside of that, what would you say are like your two favorite um, audio video projects that you've worked on so far? Uh, I made a movie called Brick Madness, and so that's definitely one of my favorites. That was the most fun thing we ever shot, I think. Mm-hmm. And having my friends around and being able to like make comedy and and really get in there and and get some ideas down that just are so hard to accomplish when you're trying to like get a location and get all the actors and get all this Lego stuff involved and have all these different people build all these things and mm-hmm. just get a bunch of people in a crowd and all that. Like that stuff's so daunting mm-hmm. when you're trying to write, produce, direct, edit um, this feature and run a company at the same time and do all your other shoots. So getting that accomplished, that was like one of the, one of the most important things I ever did for my own career. Okay, wait, 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 wait. Time out. You can't just. You guys hear this, family? We had to pause. I had to pump his brakes. He said, "Right, produce, edit." So, like, what? What were you writing and producing and editing and all that? What was your? Yeah, on that uh, feature film. Mm-hmm. So I don't, you know, however many commas or colons or whatever the fuck you can do. Mm-hmm. That was what I did. So um, yeah, I was a co-writer with uh, some of my friends. Uh, the creator of the idea you know it's just a movie so a lot of times this happens for indie directors or whatever and then I directed and then I ran camera a lot there was a number of times where I was like running a camera and then I would put the camera down give it to, give it to my brother and then I would be in the scene mm. and then like so he would be in a scene I, he would be in a shot and then I would be in a shot but we'd have to run camera for each other mm. so stuff like that Wow. so that's like you guys switch you know it's not like I'm doing any really hard acting drama wise but at least you know you gotta be quick on your toes to do comedy and so that's challenging mm-hmm. to be like okay now I'm doing this now I'm a cameraman and I'm just worried about the light and the focus and all this other stuff okay cool now 10 seconds from now I gotta be back in the scene mm-hmm. and uh, be spitting these words really fast yeah so so yeah I did that um, and then edited and did sound and did color 
and did all the everything else after that. So anything technical that happened on the movie, I had something to do with. Okay. Or did at some point. And everything creative on the movie, I did at some point. Everything administrative, I did. Wow. So, I mean, not to not to say I'm cool or anything like that. I'm just saying, like, that was hard. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, here's the resume. Yeah. So, Brick Madness. Now, prior to Brick Madness, had you done a film for yourself before? Or was that the first one? Uh, no, I did one back in high, uh, like, like college, like 2001 or so. Mm-hmm. Called uh, Sometimes People Wear Black Shirts. And um, there was just a lot of ideas there that I had that I wanted to make work. And I realized, sort of going back to what I was talking about, like, people just don't want to see some things. And they just don't really want to see people talking without it going anywhere. They want it all to lead to some story. And I, I was really sort of hell-bent on, not have, uh, on having as little story as possible because I didn't want that to get in the way of the comedy. Mm. You know? And so I've never been, like, a sitcom-y type of person where it's all based around these sort of ridiculous concepts of what a premise could be. Mm-hmm. I was never really into that. I was into like one-liners and jokes and, and like smart-ass replies and stuff yeah. like that. So I would, uh, I tried to make a movie and it would just like, some of it worked and some of it didn't and a lot of it was unsuccessful and you know, it was all about Fresno. I think it's cool. I think if you lived here during that time, you were mm-hmm. around in, in the early 2000s or whatever and you were like in the Fresno vibe, especially the art community, I think it would have been cool to you. I think it'd speak to you a little bit, mm-hmm. but you'd also be like, well, I'm not going to try to make anyone else watch that shit. <laughs> it's kind of slow, man. Real slow. So, yeah. Oh, but, uh, but it works. Yeah, yeah. So, Jester, who are, who would be your top five comedians of all time? Um, you know who I was listening to right now, which is really funny, is, uh, and it's not him doing stand-up. His stand-up's funny, too, but it, it, he's better in... Uh, and when you're doing interviews and stuff, and Norm McDonald's so mm, funny, man. Okay, he's yeah. so great in interviews. Yeah. And that's mm-hmm. like the funniest thing. Him on Letterman, I remember when mm-hmm. I was in Was he on Saturday Night Live too? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So he started on Saturday Night Live. That's what most people know him from. And then he got fired because he was telling too many jokes that they didn't like. Mm-hmm. And then he like made a bunch of jokes about getting fired and about how he wasn't funny and all that <laughs> stuff, which was mm-hmm. great. About the head of the uh, of NBC, mm-hmm. which is really funny, and uh, yeah, dude's just fearless. And then I don't know. I mean, I, I would say there's a lot of comedians I like that everyone else likes. I, I, Louis C.K. was is, is still great, and mm-hmm. he was um, he gets to the heart of stuff better than anyone. Mm-hmm. And I like um, uh, Dimitri Martin. I think is like one of the smartest dudes. He's like. He's on a whole nother level in terms of how simple his jokes are, but how smart they are. Okay. He's great. And then Mitch Hedberg's fantastic. I mean, he's a once in a lifetime sort of like individual that no one, no one sounds like Mitch Hedberg. Like mm. you can do a Mitch Hedberg, you can make any, any joke, a Mitch Hedberg joke. And you know, like people would be like, Oh, I, I know what that is. I, if they're familiar at all with him, I need, I need to get into him. him. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he's great, up. man. And he's a, uh, you know, he, he looks at the world in a different way. And that's what you need comedians for. Because mm-hmm. you need them to, to point out stuff that you wouldn't understand any other way. Yeah. You know, uh, like, I, I, I got a bunch of his on Rolodex, but, like, one of them was, like, just so you get an idea what his comedy is mm-hmm. all about. Like, um, he's a, he's like, I was outside of a laundromat the other day. I was outside of, like, a, uh, a club the other day, and there was a laundromat next door, and it was, like, it was like 2 a.m. on a Saturday morning. It says, sorry, we're closed on the sign. I was like, you don't need to be sorry. It's 2 a.m. on a Saturday, man. That would be ridiculous for me to expect you to be open right now. I'll be a real jerk to be like, hey, man, 
I came by at 2 a.m. on a Saturday and y'all weren't open. Someone owes me an explanation. <laughs> so, like, that's like a really good Mitch Hedberg sort of idea. Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. So now, Justin, do you ever go see like live comedy shows? Uh, yeah, we went. Uh, so there's a thing called Just the Tips that Danny Minch puts on that uh, they do over um, in Old Town Clovis. And we went to that last week. That was cool. Okay. And I've never done stand-up, but I'm thinking about putting a little five-minute act together, three-minute act together. Mm. That'd be fun. Yeah. Uh, something to do this year. Not because I'm looking to do that for my lifetime or nothing like that, but uh, it would be fun to at least get up there and uh, see how bad I suck a couple times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. Cool. Wow, that'd be cool. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so, you know, we, we kind of jumped around. Now I, I want to go back mm-hmm. because we, we got, you know, we're all over the Atlas right now. So can we talk about how you actually entered the world of film? How did that sure. all happen? Yeah, so in college... I was going to school at Fresno State to be a mechanical engineer, mm. so that was my plan, and um, there was like sort of a coinciding of a lot of things. For one, we were playing Goldeneye with my homies, and it was just, but we lived in the dorms, mm-hmm. and like us ripping on each other and just being fucking ruthless was was very entertaining to me, even mm-hmm. if I was a butt of a lot of jokes, I didn't really care because it was just funny, mm-hmm. and so I was liking like the whole idea of roasting people or getting roasted or whatever, talking mad shit, is fun, and so... I was like, man, I want to turn this into some sketches or movies or something. And then there was some other movie, like Clerks came out that year, the mm, Kevin Smith, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So that was sort of, it, it's always funny because you watch a movie like that and you're like, fuck, I can do that. Mm-hmm. That's not that hard. Right. And it is hard in a lot of ways, but but at the time when you're young and naive and, uh, you know, full of chutzpah, you think you could do anything. It's so you're like, fuck, I could do that. Yeah, I could do that better than that, dude. So no, Mall Rats was before Clerks, right? No, no, no. Clerks was number one. Okay. Yeah, because right. Clerks was shot on like 16 millimeter. Yeah, and that was the black and white one. Yeah, yeah, yeah I remember totally. seeing that he movie like, this is so, di- this shit's different. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it sort of had to be by definition because you just didn't have the money. Mm-hmm. You know, you shot the whole movie for 25, 30 grand or whatever. Wow. Uh, like at the place where he worked on his nights off and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, and the rest is history. Uh, so anyway, that that stuff was all happening, and then I was like in my engineering classes, and I was always good at math as as a kid growing up or whatever. But mm-hmm. like calculus is not math; that's some other bullshit mm-hmm. that I don't even know about, and I was terrible <laughs> at it. So I wasn't used to having math be that hard, and I sort of had like a limit in my mind. I'm like, yo, I'm gonna study, but like, if I gotta study four hours a week, that's too much. <laughs> <laughs> so I would just like. Um, and so you, you'd study for four hours a week on something like calculus. I don't know if other people had sort of encountered this in college, but you would you would maybe do that and you would learn nothing. Damn. Like, because you would never actually get to the point where you got it, where you got it. Mm. And if you don't get it, then you have nothing. And so right. I was just like sort of skating through classes, like not knowing shit, like mm. enough to get a C, but mm. not enough to get anywhere near a B. Right. Yeah. So I was, uh, so I was like, I don't know about this idea. And then simultaneously in the classes, I was like, dude, I'm going to be hanging out with these dudes for the rest of my life. <laughs> like in my engineering class. Right. I was like, my roommates are way cooler than these dudes. Mm-hmm. I don't think I'm into this at all. And so I just um, pieced out on that. And I was like, I'm going to switch to being a filmmaker. It seems way more fun. Mm-hmm. I think I could sort of create things in a similar way to how, you, how an engineer creates something from scratch and puts it on a piece of paper and design something and it has to have a use and a, and a sort of a, a purpose and I, th- I think a lot of times videos can be like that movies can be like that scripts can be like that so mm-hmm. I thought it was an analog to it 
just in a sort of odd sort of way. Mm, dang it. So that's why I switched. Wow. And then, uh, yeah, that's, that's, I haven't done anything else since then. Right, okay. Yeah. So then, when you made the switch, how long did it take from you, like when you had the decision and you made the switch, when was the point where you were like, okay, I can do this? Um... I was a cocky little fucker, so I probably thought I could do it the whole time. <laughs> I probably immediately was like, oh, man, I'm good at this. It's so hot right now. No, I don't know. I didn't. I definitely didn't know much about camera. I've always been a technical person, but I didn't know a whole lot about cameras and lighting and stuff. Mm. I didn't shit about lighting for a long time. Okay. So doing any of that technical stuff, I wasn't savvy on for a while, mainly because I wasn't into it. I just wanted to do stuff that was funny and, you know. Tell tell funny stories. Yeah, that was most of it. So um, over time, I've drifted way more towards cinematography and toward being better at the technical aspects of it. Um, which I like. I love the comedy. I love the DP work. I like. There's there's a lot of things within the filmmaking profession that you can do at a sort of like mid level tier mm-hmm. without actually being in the union and being down in LA and just like doing that for a living. A hundred you know 300 days a year like this is all I do is be on set Mm -hmm. but um, aside from that you can do what I do which is like have a company and run through that stuff and get to do a lot of different roles which can be very fun and it keeps it fresh Mm -hmm. you know and sometimes I just want to edit or just want to color or just want to direct or just want to shoot or whatever it is so hopefully you know for every time there for every season there is a new thing to do yeah um, which keeps it yeah, keeps it in my brain a little bit better. I don't know if I got, I don't think I could do a nine to five anymore. Maybe I'd probably super ruined by now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would suck at a real job. Yeah, I imagine tainted. Yeah, yeah, by yeah. being by being a businessman, by being an entrepreneur. But you know, the thing is, is it's like taking that risk, jumping off the cliff into the land of uncertainty. You yeah. know, and that that's the thing. But then there's the payoff. You know, being able to to do a lot of things that you are able to do. So um, I, I wanted to get to, I, I kind of want to not veer too far off, but I wanted to talk to you about something that I know is very dear to your heart, and that's The Simpsons. Oh, yeah. Okay. That's my favorite, for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Good so stuff. my man here, he uh, the story goes basically that he painted, he was in a different room in uh, Broadway Studios here, a little bit smaller um, in the mix, not on the corner, and he had a Simpsons thing, and I also like Norman Rockwell too. Okay. And so just in general, like that leaped out to me right right away. So it's sort of Homer painting a self portrait of himself um, with uh, in a Norman Rockwell esque manner, mm-hmm. and with some various Simpsons things around that you made. And uh, I didn't really know you at the time or nope. any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. I was like the first yeah, time. you came I in with your wife. I was like, oh, I'm down. Yeah, yeah, my girlfriend. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, I'm down with this. And uh, you just wait a, wait a little while. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so anyway, I was checking it out, and I was super into it. And then I put it on, uh, I was like, man, that's my shit right there. I want that. And then I gave you like a little a little idea mm-hmm. about part of it. Yeah. Because um, in one of the episodes where Homer's trying to be an inventor, and so Edison, well, he was trying to make these things. And one of the only things that he did that made any sense was make this chair to where it had six legs when you like lean back because he kept falling on his ass. When you lean back, I had these little hinges, and it made these this chair to where it couldn't fall over, basically. And I was like, maybe if you add that, that might be a like super subtle touch 
to where only people like me would notice. Mm-hmm. And so I was psyched about it. And then you were, um, so anyway, it went down tomorrow. My girlfriend ended up buying it for my birthday. Mm-hmm. And so I was super stoked. And you added the uh, little chair legs in there. Yeah, because that so. was a great suggestion. I'm going to tell you, Justin, and, and family, I'll tell you something about Justin's suggestion. So many people saw that painting. So many people gave me whack-ass suggestions. Justin's was the only one I hadn't, like, even... I ha- I didn't even think to go to that part of the Simpsons lore. And then when he said it, I was like, oh, wow, that's so good. It was a why I hadn't thought of that moment. Okay. So when I was just, I was like, okay, all right, you got me. That was a why I hadn't thought of that moment. You know, you're like, I was like, Because okay. the worst thing you can do is come to someone's, like, something that they made mm-hmm. and suggest that it be different fundamentally. Mm-hmm. And so, like... People do that. They're like, oh, that's a cool script. Hey, did you ever do a script about aliens? And you're like, dude, fuck off. What are you talking about? That we're not talking. No. Like, tell me how to change it 5%, man. Yeah. I'm not here to hear have you talk about it after reading or listening and looking at it once for 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. Tell me how to redesign the whole damn thing. It's already done, man. Yeah, man. What do you want out of me? Mm-hmm. So that's always super frustrating. So I try to give feedback that is like, hey, do you want to change it half of 1%? And no one will notice, hopefully, because I don't want to change what you do. <laughs> right. I just want to, like, tweak it maybe a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, so that was, I was trying not to do that. Yeah, good stuff. And you, man, you hit that shot from half court, brother. You hit that shot from half court. <laughs> Thanks, so, now, while we're on the topic, because I want to talk to you about the importance of patronage, because I feel like you're an art collector, and I know yeah. you have quite, like, you have a, a nice little collection. So, can you talk about, like how you got into uh, collecting art and the importance of patronage? Yeah, so, you know, since I was 18 or whatever, and I started making friends with other artists, mm-hmm. this was uh, down at the Pearl Building, which is just um, mm-hmm. a little bit, little bit down the street here. That was, like, the big spot, and I was here while they were making Moran and Wigger and whoever else, uh, Vicente, uh, worked on it a little bit, too, on the mural here. Okay. Right? So the mural on the side of the Broadway mm-hmm. Studios building was like popping off when I was around here documenting and taking pictures and all that stuff. So point being that I always thought what my friends were doing was pretty cool. I just mm-hmm. thought it was good. And um, you have some, in my opinion, world-class artists. Just because they're not discovered, they don't make a million dollars a year, sell some shit at Sotheby's or whatever doesn't mean they're not good. So mm-hmm. um, I had a lot of respect for what they were able to create from scratch and I can't draw for shit mm. I'm really bad at it in a lot of ways so um, I was like man these guys are really fantastic and and so I wanted I've always thought that it was important like am I going to go buy a print of something in Pier 1 or Bed Bath & Beyond that's some shit that everyone else has on their walls like it just doesn't seem fun to me at all and a heaven forbid man I get something that says cappuccino on it it's got a picture of the Eiffel Tower or some bullshit like fucking shoot me in the face if I do that if I do that you know that I'm dead I'm dead inside like, oh, just oh, retire man. me man push me off a ledge cause I'm done for it fucking I go the way of the dodo on that shit um this is awful to me. So, so I don't live, laugh, love bullshit on your wall. Like, man, you're gonna make coffee come so out my nose. You it's so, <laughs> it's so painful just to see that shit. And so, and I don't even like. I'm not even mad at the people doing that. Like, I, I'm just sad for them inside. Like, I just, I feel like actual. Like, I just, I don't know where humanity went wrong to lead them to buy some shit. Like that. So, anyway, 
I'm like, I want something that uh, there's a there's a line in in a streets song. I don't know if you ever heard of the streets. Is like it's a British rapper. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. So he there's a line in in one of his uh, raps where he says, "I want a suit that no man owns." So like he wants the suit that was made for him, bespoke, mm-hmm. like his own shit, yeah. his own style, his own whatever. And so I think that art on a local level for like a few hundred bucks, these you know these people are not charging five thousand dollars for their piece of art. Most of the time, you can get something that you really love, and you can put it in your house, and you can be like, "That's my friend. My friend did that." And like to me, it's it's purely selfish. Like I think everything in the world is fucking it's exceedingly selfish. It's it's very selfish in me to be like, I paid for my friend and they did that, and like they probably like that I bought their art, obviously, and they're happy about that, and that makes me feel good, and I get to look at it on the wall, and I get to get something out of it every time I look at it because it has something to do with me. It's almost like I created it in a way. Yeah, I mean, not directly, mm-hmm. but I, I, I served a purpose of creating something after that mm-hmm. because I bought this one. Another one got made. So, I mean, that's a really good feeling in general. And so just being in my house looking at that, is great and I like to be a part of that and I like my friends to do well because I think that's a crucial part of humanity is to be able to create art um, from nothing and you know that it's, it's a wax philosophical for a second is like art is um, what allows us to understand the human condition that's like at its basis in my understanding is like with without art you have a hard time understanding what it means to be human mm. and, and I it, I just think that's sort of when you dig down deep enough, that's what's there eventually. And if not, then what else? What the fuck else are you calling it? Yeah, because that is art, yeah. in my opinion. So, so you got that, and then you also have, um, you know, it's like I like that Winston Churchill quote, I believe, and they're like, uh, "Shit, I'm gonna mess this up right now." Uh, he's like, "Well, I, I'm gonna butcher the hell out of this," but basically the premise was like. Hey, if we uh, we're gonna be able to do this thing in battle, but to do it, we're gonna have to lose our. We're we're not gonna be able to pay for the art programs. Mm. The concept, and he's like, "Well, then, what are we fighting for?" Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. and so that whole idea, and that's a that's a terrible yeah. rendering but of also, that quote. But that yeah. idea mm-hmm. behind it, I think, is super important. Of like, like it being a line in the sand. Of mm-hmm. like, well, without this. What do we have? Right. Like, where do we even... St- what's the point of any of it if we don't have it? So, in my own little way, if I can help contribute to my friends, trying to be able to make that and make it, like, worthwhile and useful and have them understand, like, someone cares about this. Mm. I don't care if anyone else does. I do. Yeah. So, so that means something to me and hopefully it means something to you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it's interesting you bring Churchill up because I don't know if you know, but he was an artist. He used watercolor. Oh. And that's, yeah, he used watercolor. And watercolor is actually a, the British royalty all have, and even now currently, like they've all painted with watercolor. Oh. Like Windsor Newton, that's actually the first company to put watercolor in tubes. Nice. So before that, they were just in cake form, you know, but actually, but then they put it in tube and yeah. then boom, you know, so right. that's why Churchill was on that because he's like, dude, I understand yeah. as an artist, you know, even though that's not my main, you know, bread and butter, I do understand, have a love for it. Yeah, I think, um, I think anyone that's serious about 
being effective in the world has to be touched by art at some point and it has to understand like why you're doing things mm. and you know depending on how metaphysical you want to get with all that like life is art and, and God is art and, and any higher being anything greater than you which I believe that you know if you want to believe in God or not that's one thing but I think that I think that no one basically takes the stance that there's nothing greater than them I think everyone can admit that they're not the greatest thing in the world or the universe, or that they're not the that any person is not the greatest thing in the universe. Like everything is fallible, and I think that beyond that, there's a level of infallibility or at least ununderstandableness. So like, there's something that we can't possibly fathom. Mm-hmm. Like I can fathom a lot of shit, but there are things I can't possibly fathom. So that has to be something greater than me um, by definition, and that means. That if you want to call that God or a higher power or just the holiness of nature or whatever, then that already embodies that thing. It's something I can't understand because it's greater than I can possibly understand. So therefore, I think at the heart of that is also something like art because I don't understand why the thing makes me feel the way it does or why we can take something and duplicate it in a manner that's a little bit different. Someone's interpretation and it... it lives in a world that didn't exist before that moment Mm. so that's tight I was like that about like that's what's great about being on set too is like we yesterday this didn't exist now this exists and it will exist for a long time Mm -hmm. that's cool that's a good feeling yeah man wow so now that you've kind of you brought us back to the set can you talk about some of your favorite like movies as far as cinematography goes uh, well, I just saw 1917. Mm. That was super fun, man. That's, um, you know, Roger Deakins is one of pretty much every cinematographer's favorite dudes. Mm-hmm. And uh, from, by all accounts, just a super gentleman, just, just really interested in the craft and really just happy to, to be doing what he does. And so Roger Deakins is one of the, he's on Mount Rushmore for a lot of people. And so he made this movie with uh, another one of my favorite directors, Sam Mendes, mm. about World War One. And uh, it's shot, you know, what they would call a one-er, so it's all basically seamlessly one shot. Oh, there, wow. There's cuts in it and everything, but there's not many, and it, it does a better job. I think they're hiding it a little bit better than um, a movie like Birdman, which is basically the same thing. Okay. But um, but that's that's sort of neither here nor there, because it was just very enthralling, in mm-hmm. my opinion, and had the, the way they executed on that thing, and how much planning goes into that sort of scenario is uh, pretty breathtaking, and so... From that standpoint, I really love that, you know. And then there's movies, Citizen Kane. I mean, I think that's sort of cliche or whatever like that. But, dude, if you don't get excited about the first two minutes of that movie, seeing how, you know, the, the five shots getting up to his bedroom or whatever, how those all cut together and just how much thought went into sort of the, the symbolism and the um, how, how everything sort of, grows itself from the previous frame I think I think there's something brilliant about that and then you know all the way to the beginning of Clockwork Orange I mean mm. it's like the first minute and a half of Clockwork Orange when we we start on his face and we do that slow dolly out um, that's like the heart of cinema to me there's nothing more cinematic than that mm-hmm. to me you can have a million fucking aliens exploding on screen and all this huge battle and all this other shit and there's that doesn't get to the purity of of what that moment is of just 
you know, there was me, Alex, and my four dreams. <laughs> yeah. He was like, oh, dude, this is shit right here. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he had that makeup three on. Three jerks, I forget. Anyway. Man. Um, yeah, so that's super, you know. I, I think that there's simplicity with which you can make something that um, can always trump just throwing a lot of ideas at something. Sometimes less is more. Yeah, a lot of times. Yeah, mm-hmm. so that's always a great thing to keep in mind, and that's why it's a maxim that a lot of people live by. But it's it's hard to understand what that means sometimes. Mm. You know, I mean, what does less mean? You mm-hmm. know, you want to be. I always try to th- make things more clever than they should be, probably. But you you're only going to execute on part of that cleverness. So if you you make something double clever and then you get forty percent of that clever, then you're still only at eighty percent, which means mm. you're at a good level, uh-huh. probably. For the bullshit I try to pull, so. Um, yeah, that's that's the approach in a lot of ways. So you had brought up, you know, Clockwork Orange, and you know Stanley Kubrick is a beast. And I wanted to like kind of piggyback. I wanted to ask you, how do you feel about the whole moon landing footage? Because there's like a rumor that Stanley Kubrick directed the moon landing footage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. there's a stupid meme that goes around, which is like, um, it's true Stanley Kubrick did direct the moon landing, but he was such a perfectionist that he. He uh, said that he had to shoot on location. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I, now, do you I think feel- that's kind of funny. Uh, the, the answer to that question about the moon landing or any of that stuff basically is that, um, well, there's a couple things. But, but one of the things that I did watch is, um, trying to, I think it was called Apollo 13. I forget, I forget what the name of Apollo. It was, I don't know. Anyway, the movie that was out last year on Netflix and all that, mm-hmm. that was a documentary of them actually going through the process sort of dry in a lot of ways and just very methodical and plotting about what actually happened. Mm-hmm. And the thing I, I realized is like, if you've never tried to direct normal people or even actors to be like completely uh, unassumingly real, like real, like a human doesn't act, if, if an actor is not an actor, they, they have a hard time just being just a person that's totally unassuming. Mm. Right, you could be a DDL, you know Daniel Day Lewis. You know, like oh, that dude's the best there is, and he's just great at being an actor. You mm. believe him as Lincoln and all that shit. Yeah, but that's not the same thing as just like watching a dude, right? Because DDL, you're like, oh, dude, this guy. Mm-hmm. But that's not the same thing. So my point is, when you watch that documentary, it is impossible, like literally impossible, in my opinion. And I think if anyone's ever directed people, they understand this. It's impossible to have people act that nonchalant, nothing, unassuming, just normal. Hmm. You can't get people to act that normal. Okay. It it won't work. Mm. Which is weird. Like, that's actually my best proof for the moon landing. Is like, cool. You think that they made all this whole documentary up? You you go try to shoot that. None of the technical shit. None of the... I, I believe that you can make some pictures of... Someone landing on the moon and mm-hmm. fake all that shit. I don't even care about that. You try to make, you try to put forty um, NASA dudes in a room and have them act like that. Mm. I guarantee you, you can't. It's impossible. Wow. Because they just won't act that normal mm-hmm. and boring and okay. dull and like <laughs> odd and like, yep, those are NASA dudes. <laughs> like that guy doesn't give a shit about his hair. That's a NASA dude. <laughs> 
And that's something you just don't understand unless you're a filmmaker. I think. Yeah, that's why I wanted to ask you these questions. Oh, man. And then you're just like, that's real. Okay. That's real. I will bet my life on it this moment that that is real. Mm. And I would, the rest, every dollar I make for the rest of my life, I will mm. bet you 10 to 1 this moment that that happened. Wow. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. There's no doubt in my mind whatsoever. So you can talk about whatever conspiracy bullshit you want uh-huh. outside of that. Mm-hmm. But the stuff in that movie, uh-huh. that happened. Okay. Got you. Okay, okay. That's interesting. Yeah, because you know, I wanted to. I, I've been asking people how they feel about it, mm-hmm. and you know, a, a friend of mine, like back in shoot, like two, like early two thousands, um, he he would draw these envelopes, and he still does it to this day. Um, he draws like these envelopes, and like he matches them with the stamps, and does like these competitions. But he had one that was like the moon landing, and it was a guy with the what's that thing called? Oh, clapper. Yeah, with slate. the clapper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was a dude in the director's chair, That's and I funny. always remember uh-huh. that. <laughs> I could and I'm not even saying that the footage we saw wasn't fake. Mm-hmm. I like I can't necessarily make that point about all that, uh-huh. but I'm saying everything else in the documentary was real. Got you. Okay. I promise. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I hear so, you. And and like, if it was fake, but they still went to the moon, which I believe that they definitely did, and I believe that someone definitely did walk on the moon. Mm-hmm. Then what difference does it make? You know what I mean? In a yeah. Lot of ways, mm-hmm. Most of the shit we see is fake. This is true. I mean, it, it. But that doesn't mean that it's not true. That there is not a true version directly behind it. We just have to watch the sort of fake version because that's the way to get it to our eyes. Mm. Got you. Yeah. 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 Yeah, Good stuff. Good stuff. So what are your three favorite Simpsons episodes? Oh, that's impossible. (laughs) Just like faking that footage, man. That's impossible. (laughs) Um, uh, Right off the top of my head, um, Lisa Needs Braces is a... Is a great episode. Mm-hmm, yeah, she had that whole headset. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that whole headset. There's just a lot of really solid moments on that. Mm-hmm. And she's playing the, uh, she's playing her little guitar, and and you know it it goes real big. It, it's got Burns in a very pivotal role, and Burns is such a strong character, mm-hmm. and how evil he is, and all that stuff, and mm-hmm. how dumb Homer. Like that hits on all the all the right things. Um, the uh, I think the episode that everyone sort of loves is with Hank Scorpio. Mm. So Hank Scorpio is such a classic character, mm. and he's so um, so ridiculous. And so when Homer gets his new job and goes to work for for the Diamond, shit, I forget. Yeah, because he was like a super villain kind of guy, huh? Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Dimex. I'm forgetting for that for a second for some reason. Anyway, he goes and works um, it, for the super villain essentially. But the supervillain's like the best CEO you've ever met. And he's like in the middle of, of this like huge government takeover where they're coming to destroy him because he's doing all this crooked, crazy, megalomaniac shit. And he still like grabs Homer by the shoulder and he's like talking to him like like it's just a normal little meeting on a, at a coffee shop. It's like great. There's so much ridiculous things about that episode. And then, um, oh hell, I mean, I love all the episodes. Um, the, the, I think even them, uh, there's a lot of heart, and what people miss about The Simpsons is that there was so much heart in there. There's not just a bunch of dumb jokes, but there's like a lot of like actual real relationship stuff. Mm-hmm. So I think the um, uh, Lisa on Ice, I think is what it's called, okay. is um, where they're playing, where Bart is on the gougers, probably. Anyway, they're playing hockey. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, that's that's a great episode where 
they match up on hockey, and then by the end of the episode, they're in direct competition with each other, and then they, like, throw down their gloves and um, hockey stick and, like, just end the game as, as brother and sister, and Homer's just screaming. He's like, losers! <laughs> they're both losers! <laughs> and everyone just riots. They're like, let's turn this place apart! And they just destroy everything because they can't stand to have, like... Mm-hmm people actually get along and actually care for each other yeah. it's like anathema to what they want yeah. so that shit is that shit's great the pigs versus the gougers yeah um, so yeah those but I mean I could talk about Simpsons all day so. yeah man yeah. good stuff rest in peace Frank Grimes yeah right. <laughs> uh, he liked prostitutes <laughs> Oh man, I had to. I had to. I had to. Man, that was my dude. Yeah, that's a, that's man. a good episode. That's mm-hmm. a great episode. Yeah, because it just reveals Homer for how stupid he is. But mm-hmm. everyone, no one cared. Because you're like, yeah, that's cool, man. But I like him. I don't like you. You're a dick. Yeah. And isn't Homer like kind of responsible? Because like when Ma died, who shot the t-shirts? Who was shooting? Because somebody was shooting t-shirts. They were at like a, a yeah, racetrack yeah, yeah. or something. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. I, because Homer. Didn't shoot the teeth. I don't remember who shooting I, the I'm trying to remember. I, I feel like I've only seen the episode once or twice because it was like way past when I actually cared about the Simpsons mm-hmm, yeah. as much. Um, I thought Homer ducked and it hit her because of that. I yeah. thought the dude in the um, – there was just a guy, the normal T-shirt cannon dude. Mm-hmm. Homer had made an ass out of himself trying to get him to fire the T-shirts at him. Mm-hmm. Then he ducked and it hit Maude and knocked her off the back and she died. But I don't think it... It wasn't directly Homer's fault yeah. mm-hmm. for knocking her off. True, Homer. But he... He, 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 he precipitated does, it. Right. But and if the, he wasn't the, there doing what he was doing, it wouldn't have happened, I suppose. And what's yeah. crazy is, like, at that point, I was like, wow, she's really gone. Like, she is yeah, really weird, gone. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. In a cartoon, to have someone die forever is such an odd thing. Because you that's sort of the allure about it. Um, I was reading a statistic yesterday. It was like... Bart is Homer's age when the show started. That's crazy, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, because he's 10 in the show. Lisa's 8, and it's been on for 30 years or whatever. Homer's 39 in the show. Wow. So, I mean, he's all, he's as old as Homer is, which is weird. Yeah. Uh, so. Huh. Yeah, that's crazy stuff, man. Yeah, and then it was like Ned was just a single dude with two kids, like, after that. Yeah, you know? and he had weird run-ins with, like, uh, celebrities and this and that. I was mm-hmm. dating various people, and, yeah, Ned's such a such a solid character. Because he never <laughs> changes, really. You know I mean? Mm-hmm. Ned sticks to what he sticks to. Yeah. And that's what, that's what I love about what you could do with cartoons, is you don't have to change them. They can, they can be themselves for forever, and... So something like King of the Hell is one of my favorites. Is like on day one, Hank Hill is Hank Hill, and on yeah. day, you know, the end of the series after 13, 13 seasons or whatever, he's the same exact dude. Mm-hmm. Shout outs to Boom Hauer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Boom Hauer. <laughs> Boom Hauer never changes, man. He gets a, he's not maybe as crappy as he is mm-hmm. sometimes, but he doesn't have to be a different person. You know, mm-hmm. he was fully formed the first. Yeah, 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 man. Like the first time, boom, man, to let that spark close. Um, from second one, he's Boomhauer, and that's like that's hard to do in a yeah. show mm-hmm. to not be in season three and be like, dude, this character is not as good as we thought he was. Right? Like, yeah. We don't have any lines for this dude. Mm-hmm. We don't know how to have him react to this shit because we painted him into a corner. Yeah. Like people don't understand how complicated that is. Yeah. That's not a thing of you're like, no, you just make, and that's why Homer's sucked after season nine or so 
they went into stupid Homer, and that's like sort of a there's a very obvious transition point there where he just becomes a different character. Mm. So that's not to shit on Homer. He was great for you know ten eleven episodes to ten, 10 eleven seasons, depending on how you want to talk about it. But mm. he got markedly different at some point because they sort of ran out of shit for him to do. Right. And I'm not mad at anyone for that, but it's yeah. true. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, because he did. He went to the. He went to the space station. Mm-hmm. He fought Mike Tyson. He. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But man. he was him that whole time. Yeah. You know, he wasn't. He he didn't fight Mike Tyson because he thought he could beat Mike Tyson. He fought him because he trusted Mo. Because mm-hmm. Mo had always like been his his dude, even though Mo screwed him a bunch of times. <laughs> but like Homer's a very loving, caring, like um, solidarity. Mm-hmm. Like he's all about solidarity in a, in a lot of ways. Like the thing he trusts and the thing he's gonna believe in until the day he dies. And so that's something that anyone can sort of look at and admire. That's something great about Homer. So, and then Homer says, "If you think I can beat him, Mo, yeah. then I'll fight him." You know, and, and Mo's like lying through his teeth, and like, oh, oh yeah, Homer. He's like full of shit about yeah. it, but you yeah. know, but, but Mo saves him at the end with the fan man's yeah, and he gets on yeah. and pulls him out. And, mm-hmm. You know, yeah, that was good. Uh, Did like Marge's hair get cut or something by the fans? Oh yeah, uh, I think Krusty's one. Of oh yeah, it was Krusty's. Yeah, one, one of his. Yeah, one yeah. of his sides exactly. of his yeah. things get chopped down. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, real quick before we exit the Simpsons talk, you know, I think of how you talk about Homer getting into situations. I think about that baseball game that they had, oh, yeah, that yeah. Was, and like Ozzie Smith was uh-huh. on the other team. And they- uh-huh. I, like, I like when he talks to Joe Strapper and he's like, uh, uh, are you playing center field? I'm playing center field. He's like, yeah. He's like, are you better than me? He's like, well, I don't know you, but yes. Daryl <laughs> <laughs> Strawberry doesn't even pull a punch. He's like, obviously, dude, I'm, the, I'm one of the best players in the MLB. Obviously, I'm better than you, dude. Yeah, and, man. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's, that's one of the – I mean, that's top ten. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great episode. Mm-hmm. All this ridiculous stuff happens. You get the little song at the end. It's so mm-hmm. fun. Yeah, yeah awesome. Man. Good stuff, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so – yeah, every, everything everything you can that happens in real life you can find in The Simpsons. Yeah, I mean that's the thing that's great about it. It's not just a bunch of nonsense. It's not mm-hmm. just a bunch of jokes. It's like, in my opinion, if you know enough about the show, that can inform everything about your life. Like you, anything that happens, you can sort of trace back. If you're encyclopedic as enough as I am, mm-hmm. to pretend to be, then you can like see something <laughs> there and you can be like. Oh yeah, that does make that make sense. Like I do understand that a little bit better because I've seen that in a different situation and how they sort of poked fun at it satirically to where it wasn't so bad after all. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. So that's a very I don't think comforting is the right word. I think it's a fucking elixir. I think it's a prescription mm. for for how to understand the world. I mean, that's in my opinion, that's far superior to going to a psychiatrist if you don't absolutely have to. It's like, that's your psychiatry. Yeah. The Simpsons explaining the world for you over and over and over again to be like, oh shit, okay, I get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, man. Okay, family, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back, uh, you know, to kind of wrap this up. We, I got a few more questions, but uh, yeah, hold tight, pull your socks up. And we're back. Episode 42 of the Art MBS podcast, podcast, by artists, for artists, and our lovers. You know, you guys, we've had a great conversation so far. Justin McAleese is in here. Boom, boom, boom. Nailed it. Got it, right? Love it. Okay, cool. Okay, so we've talked about, you know, music. We've talked about 
uh, your roots, you know, in, you know, woodworking. We've talked about a lot about The Simpsons. Now, what I kind of want to go into is your travels and, like, traveling. Because okay. I know you go a lot of places. Sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. that was one of my goals of getting into filmmaking is being able to travel and go and, and get paid to go places that I would have to pay for normally. So, mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of that's important. We went on a safari last year in Kenya, Ooh. which was crazy lifetime, you know, bucket list, altering, mm. everything was awesome about that, and so, going and being, and seeing all those animals in person on this preserve, mm-hmm. and hanging out with all the, um, the Swahili speaking people over there, and all that was really cool, mm. and yeah, that was great, and that was through Microsoft, and it was like, their once in a lifetime journey that you could enter into a sweepstakes to win. Oh, wow. And so then I got just to accompany six people on that journey. So that was, yeah, that was incredible. Wait, um, wait, 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 wait. Time out, time out, yeah. So wait, that was through Microsoft. So you had to enter a contest? You no. had to sign up? Or? No, 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 no. The six people did. They won the thing, and uh-huh. I documented the thing that they won. Oh, oh, that's yeah. hard. Yeah, yeah. So I didn't, I, I won and we got paid. That's you know, tight. That's tight. Sort of deal. Yeah. Yeah, I know. That was awesome. And we get to see every animal you could think of that would be out on safari and just hanging out with cheetahs and rhinos and lions and everything, man. It was super cool. So before you went to Kenya, did you get your shots? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I got some stuff taken care of for okay. sure. Okay. And because um, I was in Amsterdam right before that for a couple weeks doing a different movie. Mm-hmm. And... Um, or a movie, the other the other thing wasn't quite a movie, it was like a three, four minute video. But um yeah, so when I got to Amsterdam those shots hit me real hard because it was like a week after I'd taken them. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, you know, depending on what type of shot it is and all that, you get the like real muscle soreness. Mm-hmm. So you're just like sort of out of it for a day. Mm-hmm. And so that was the first day we were shooting in Amsterdam and I was just like I was like, dude, what is wrong with me? I feel like I'm getting super sick. Uh-huh. I don't understand what it is. And then uh I explained it to one of the actresses and she's like she's like you're going to Africa right and I was like yeah I got a bunch of shots and she's like that's it and I was like oh yeah that's totally it I know how that feels <laughs> shit I'm stupid yeah this and so then because it's a thing when you're like when someone tells you hey you're gonna feel like shit today you're like okay am I gonna feel like shit tomorrow and they're like no you're like okay that's fine I don't care about that then mm-hmm. go away it's, I don't I just don't want to be having something for a week or whatever so anyway point is got my shots it was great Went into Kenya, didn't get bitten by any uh, rabbit animals or nothing. Mm, so no mosquitoes. Really no mosquitoes. There was yeah, no mosquitoes where we were. Okay. I wasn't worried about malaria. I had the pills and all that. Mm. But um, got the yellow fever. I don't think dengue fever was there. There was another one. I don't know. I got okay. a bunch of shots, man. Gotcha. So I, uh, for various places. Because we went to, we've been to, I was going to go to India one time and then that didn't end up happening, but I got some of the shots for that. And then I've been to Thailand a few times too, so mm. we got some for that. Okay. So out of all of the places you've traveled, which one would you go back to? Like, which one is the one like you would return to before any other one? And which place had, uh, the two, which two places had the best food? Um, we actually had crazy good food on safari mm. because of how high-end we were at the the most high-end place in the whole country for doing that sort of thing because uh-huh. that was what was built into the whole concept okay that food was really good um so i mean i would i would i don't necessarily need to go do that specific thing again nor would i pay for that that was pricey mm. um if i were to actually pay for it but um no we had a. Uh, we when we went to Bangkok for mm-hmm. a different shoot, we had really good food a couple times. Okay, that was super good. Um, 
what's funny about the Thai food is it doesn't really taste like American Thai food a lot of times, and I sort of like American Thai food better. Wow. It just fits my palate a little bit better, yeah. whatever it is. So that's, you're like, oh, you've been to Thailand, their food, and you're like, yeah, but it's not, it's different. Mm. <laughs> that's not quite how I like it. <laughs> um, we've had excellent food in Japan. I've mm-hmm. uh, been there a couple times uh, for extended periods, and, you know, I mean, there's so many options there. That's been really cool, mm. I think, and, and you get... We were in Kyoto one time, and you just have the breakfast at this. We were at a decent hotel, and you had this breakfast, and you're like, damn. That's cool. It's all bento boxy. And nice. And it's got all these specific tastes. You're like, I don't eat that shit for breakfast. <laughs> and then you put it in your mouth, and you're like, that's pretty good. So I'm, pretty, I'm pretty excited about this right now. So um, those, those sort of moments, I think, which are great. I, I just like anything that's not what I'm used to. Okay. I think that's, that's what I want to always try to be is like. I gotta go tweak this mm-hmm. and, and have something that I'd be like, nah, that's not my style. I'm like, okay, good. That's yeah. what you want. Right, right. I don't understand people who, you know, every restaurant they go to, they get fucking spaghetti. Mm-hmm. You know, no matter where. Yeah. Whatever, that's always sort of weird to me. Um, and then uh, I would want to go back. I actually want to go back to uh, Tanzania. Tanzania. Mm-hmm. And because my buddy has a school there. Ooh. Yeah, so he started a school getting 10 15 years ago probably 15 years ago almost now um called orcasula secondary school so he started a school there for all of the local um kids um secondary so it's like it's like uh junior high high school mm-hmm. and that i i need to go back there and like document more of it and help what they're doing because what he is doing with his family is phenomenal and un- unquestionably um, unselfish mm. about how much he's adding to the world just by having the school. Facts. So yeah. now is this gentleman from Tanzania originally? No, he's from. No, I went to Fresno State with him. Oh shit! Yeah, yeah, yeah. We used to go and you know he get all painted head to toe and go to the football games and shit. Nice. He splits out drunk and have fun. Yeah. Oh so, wow. So totally different. Not that he's a different dude now, but he's he's just settled into something that's really important his priorities are in a different place yeah sure mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And same college, passion gotta, yeah but you gotta foster that stuff when you're in college hopefully like hopefully you take passion and you you funnel it into something that can provide you power later mm. you know what I mean I think anything in life is only as important as the motor that it can help uh, build inside of you mm. you know okay so that's something that he was able to do when he's over there kicking ass and making the school work from nothing dirt mm-hmm. and now he's got you know whatever it is eight acres of badass buildings and nice making a real school man it's cool yeah that's hard yeah, yeah. that's tight that's tight man you know so um one thing that i do want to talk to you about because we we, we hit the travel button uh-huh. and then i really want to talk to you about red cameras okay okay so yeah so i've had a red camera since uh, 2008 i believe um and red camera was sort of the whole concept of what they were able to do back then mm-hmm. is pretty ubiquitous and passe and obvious now but they were the first ones to create what the the actual like what you would see 35 millimeter film what we're used to looking at movies with the amount of things out of focus and the size of the sensor red was one of the first ones to ever do that to where people could actually buy it re and panavision had been doing it and sony sort of they almost did it with the um the ones that they made for um the Star Wars movies, the F-900s, but 
Red was the first one to be able to do it. Say like, hey, this is economical, seventeen thousand five hundred bucks. Mm-hmm. You can buy it. It's not crazy expensive. Um, if you have a company or whatever, mm-hmm. and you can make stuff that looks just like feature films without having to get into any of the other options that are out there that are like ten, five to ten times more money mm-hmm. and still don't do what this can do. Mm-hmm. You know, so it was the, it was four K at the beginning. So they were doing 4K in 2007. Wow. Which is crazy because, you know, things are still just catching up to that. Mm-hmm. Nothing's really shooting 8K yet except for red cameras. Mm. Those are the only ones. So they've been winning in resolution for a long time, which is not the end-all be-all, but it's very important for some workflows. It's very mm-hmm. useful to have extra resolution. I think people underestimate how cool it is to be able to punch in on something. And they've been able to make a tool that for my world has been super useful i've been running off of the same i basically bought a camera in 2000 i received it in 2008 and then i sold it to get a different camera to to upgrade it Mm -hmm. so it cost me another 10 grand or whatever to upgrade five years later Mm -hmm. it's been even longer than and i've had that once and then i paid to upgrade that sensor once so i've got this is the third version of it Mm -hmm. and i'm a little behind right now there's actually newer versions out right now but Mm -hmm. i'm not I don't need that one. What it, what mine does does it really well for what I do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've had the, essentially the same camera. They just upgraded it twice since two thousand eight. Nice. And I've only had to upgrade it twice. You know, it only cost me twenty grand or whatever. So like in terms of the life cycle of of a piece of technology, that's unheard of. Right. That you could have something that long and it's still doing its job. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Today in in. Um, computing and optics and, and all that shit. Well, and not only that, but the, you threw that number out. I'm thinking, man, if you think about how much uh, uh, average Apple head spent on iPhones and iPads, like, since you got that first red camera, yeah. like, that is almost like... That's like a two-year life cycle, and if you're talking about a thousand bucks or more, and mm-hmm. then if you're talking about, uh, for, for an iPhone, mm-hmm. you know, your typical iPhone yeah. doesn't cost that much. And they got an iPad, too. And then you gotta buy that other stuff, and then you wanna mm-hmm. get a MacBook Pro. I mean, but shout out to Apple, too, because I've had the same MacBook Pro since 2012. Okay. You know, I mean, so I'm eight years deep in that, and I still use it every single day. Yeah. So, um, I think I think people thinking that they have to have the newest stuff is um, is a weird concept. I think also once you get better at your tools, that's an important way to approach any any job because mm-hmm. we have to buy new cameras for various reasons that don't supersede the red, but they perform different functions, and that shit gets old trying to learn where all the buttons are every time, you know. Because once you if you only use it once every couple of weeks or whatever, it's hard to remember how that works. But at least I know where everything is on my red facts because I've had it so long. Mm-hmm. So that's that's an important thing. I mean, I think when you're young, when you're like 20 and you see what a photographer has, you know, like this 50-year-old photographer or whatever, and you're like, oh, you don't have this, this, or this, and they're like, this works pretty well for me, and like when you're 20, you're like, Psh, that dude's old, he doesn't know what he's talking about, he needs to have the newest new, and then you get to your like 40 and you're like, that dude's smart, he knows exactly what he was talking about, that's, a, that's the way to do it. Yeah, so, man. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Work with what works for you. And don't be afraid to, like, just hold on to that for as long as it keeps working. Mm-hmm. Master your tools, and then that way you have to get a bunch of stuff. 100%. You know, yeah, yeah, man, that's wild. It's about what you can create, not about how you created it in most senses. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so focus yeah. on what you can do. Got you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now, did you see that movie, The Irishman? Yep. Okay. Yeah, I finished that recently. Mm-hmm. That was cool. I like how sort of 
how many facts are involved of who these dudes actually are. I mean, like, part of my favorite parts of the movie were, like, seeing the little lower thirds about when the dude ended up dying and what, like, yeah. crazy situation he dude, died in. that was great. Because you're like, oh, shit, that's all real. Like, that's a real dude, and he got shot because he was involved in this shit. Mm-hmm. And because you, you have such a way of, um, you can sort of sentimentalize um, mobsters and organized crime and all that, and you have a romantic look at all that stuff depending on how it is. But when you're like, oh, no, that dude died. Mm-hmm. Oh, that dude went to prison. Oh, that dude had this happen to him that was horrific and crazy. Then it makes a lot more sense that um, maybe that shit's not so cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe, maybe it is good that over time all that stuff disappears. Yeah. And, and also you get the feeling like you, you, you get doubled down on the idea that this shit was pervasive and probably still is pervasive, but in a different way. Like it infiltrates everything. Mm-hmm. And so that's always interesting to have the um the curtain pull back on that and be like oh they were in everything and yeah. that's why this stuff went down the way it did mm-hmm. so anyway yeah and then, cool. so and then you know i i watched did you see the panel on netflix where they had like a panel with yeah. all of them i i not the whole thing but yeah I watched but a bit of they it. talk about these cameras they had like three lenses yeah, or something like they that. had one red and two alexas and it was weird how they did it so that they could do the de-aging stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it was one red, two Alexis. I'm fairly sure. It might have been the opposite. It might have been two reds and one Alexis or something like that. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, that was really interesting how they were able to do that stuff. And most of it looked really good. Mm-hmm. I mean, almost all. You, you'd sort of forget about it sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was cool. Yeah, definitely. Because I'm watching it and I'm feeling like, dang, this is an old-ass movie. But it looks hella good. Yeah. You know, and it's just... And it's like your brain is, you kind of like forget that it's the technology and you get immersed in this whole experience sure. because it's like you're used to seeing Joe Pesci and Goodfellas and like, and it's like, wait, yeah. hold on. He's like, and, and, and like, or Casino where he's wilding out. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like he was, in Casino, Joe Pesci talked so much shit. Oh, like he was Hey, man, so yeah, and yeah. then like there's the one scene where he's like in the desert with Robert De Niro. And he's like, you can't do anything without me. I'm lazy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, but you man. know, so you're sitting there and you're forgetting that these guys are really like they're really older, but they Real look life, yeah. really young. Yeah, yeah, so that was a great. It that was, was a great movie. Well, yeah, there's something neat about how they've been able to take a life. You know, we have a shared lifetime of experiencing that stuff with them mm-hmm. that's kind of cool yeah you know that we, that we go back to the late 60s to the late 60s mean streets i forget what mean streets came out maybe 70 early 70s mm-hmm. but anyway you can go all the way back to that time and understand like who these dudes are and how we all share sort of an under they're the storytellers from that perspective yeah. of how all that stuff goes down mm-hmm. whether it's scorsese or francis ford coppola yeah whoever it is or mm-hmm. palmer or something it's just cool to understand it. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's good stuff. That's good stuff, man. So we're kind of getting, uh, <coughs> we're getting to tell end the episode. So uh, we talked about movies. We talked about pretty much. Oh, that's one thing I want to ask you. What are some of your favorite museums that you've been to? Uh, we went to. Well, I've been to a few. Um, it's hard to say, man. I, what I really liked, honestly, which is sort of a goofy answer, maybe, but the. Um, what was it? The Portraits Museum in London. Mm. I thought it was really neat because I like, I thought it was, um, it just hit me in a different way than most things do when you can stand there and be like, oh, this was like 
the king of England 600 years ago, and this painting got made about that dude, and, like, you just see sort of how larger than life they are because it's the king of England from 600 years ago. He's <laughs> running the whole world in a lot of ways. and But also, you understand he's, like, this weird, fragile, odd-looking fucking mook that just is sitting there you're like who is this dude and he's you know and I know about like he's got hemophilia and shit so he can't even stop himself from bleeding because he's all inbred this is fucked up this is like a backroads fucking Appalachian Western Virginian dude from the turn of the century like that's weird so all of it is sort of neat so I like seeing the history of that yeah. and then we went through the, through the Van Gogh Museum and that was really cool because um, they have um you know, the things on, you can read on the wall or you can listen to audio recordings and various mm-hmm. things. I thought that the interactivity of that was really cool. Uh-huh. Um, shit, we went to that one in uh, New Mexico um, in Santa Fe or Albuquerque. Uh, damn, what was the thing? I'd have to remember it. But anyway, it was just a it was a room that, it, a bunch of rooms that you walked through that were all painted and all had these different ideas and all. You sort of followed a narrative um god man it was something cat i'm forgetting right okay now. well we don't fact check on here family guys google it get on yeah at santa fe albuquerque museums because you know how we do it on here you know what's really good that one's a cool one i can figure it out in seconds but yeah 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 that was super fun so i mean i think art can you can find art anywhere you go and if you're willing to sort of spend the time on something that seems important to you, mm-hmm. then I think Meow Wolf, that's what it's called. Okay. I had cat sort of wrong. I mean, a different, different type of cat, sort of dog. <laughs> anyway, Meow Wolf was a trip for sure, and I would go back to that place. And I don't, I don't know that it's a museum, but it, it functions as a museum. Okay. It just doesn't have art in little frames on the walls. Got you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, man. So now, if someone were wanting to get into movie making, what would be the three tips that you would give them? Um, I would say video is different than movie making in a way. And like, if you want to be a, if you want to only be on set while people are actually actually making movies or like Netflix shows or something mm-hmm. like that, then you probably need to go to LA or to another hub that is like that. Okay. Um, and you need to be involved. You need to try to get in the union. You need to try to be on set every day doing a job. You probably got to pick which discipline you want to do and you need to be around that all the time. Mm. Because it's very hard from somewhere like Fresno to do that 250 days a year or however many days you want to Mm -hmm. do because you're going to end up doing a whole bunch of other stuff and video stuff and corporate things and interviews and all these things. Mm -hmm. So like, if you want to look at it, movies, you got to go down there and do that. But if you want to look at it, video, Mm -hmm. start right now, go to YouTube, go look up, go watch 10 hours worth of videos about how other dudes made videos. Mm -hmm. And then you can be better than me next week. Wow. Like, I think you can, I don't think it's that hard to learn a lot of that stuff Mm -hmm. and you can make some really cool stuff. It might not like, you might not be able to serve all your clients sort of how well I can by now because of all the experience I have, but you can make cool looking shit probably way cooler than mine real fast mm. if you see what they're doing online, emulate those ideas, get a drone, get a cool um, Ronin or whatever kind of gimbal you want and make these interesting storytelling shots and, and series and sequences. I think there's something brilliant you can do there right out the gate today because the tools are so much better than when I was coming up. 
Okay. Yeah. So I would I would watch YouTube videos and then go see what you can do. Mm. And then number three, I mean the the underlying thing of all of this and the art and the music and the movies and whatever else we're talking about is like focus on storytelling. Focus on the beginning, middle, and end of what you want to talk about. Focus on why it's important to you. You have to, in my opinion, one of the most crucial things you can do is decide which story that you can only tell, that, that you can tell better than anyone else. Mm. See that. So like that thing and then try to make it to where it, um, other people can, can feel why it mattered to you mm-hmm. and what was important about it. Um, but, but yeah, really focus on what you can make better than anyone else. Mm. Because there's a ton of stories out there. You, do I want to go what, direct a Star Wars movie? I mean, that's, that's probably harder than being president. But, but go do something like that maybe? Yeah, shit, yeah, that'd be fun. Do I think I'd be the best at it? No, man, there'd be a million people better than that. Mm. And me, I could go tell a comedy story maybe better than a lot of people. Mm-hmm. But so you got to sort of focus on what your strengths are and, and figure out what those are. Because you don't want to be going through life not understanding what you're good at. Wow. That's a shit place to be. Mm-hmm. So that's what I would say. Yeah. Those are sort of three roundabout tips. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So before closing, if you were on a desert island, you only had five records and one thing to eat for the rest of your life, what would those be? Um. Okay. So I think I'd have to have oh – man, it's so hard because you don't want to pin yourself down or whatever – I would have a Led Zeppelin album, I would have an Aesop Rock album, um, a Tool album, and probably like Beethoven or something like that, and then maybe um, maybe a Beastie Boys record or something like okay. that. So I would probably have like, uh, I would have Led Zeppelin know if it'd be four but let's let's say one let's say three led zeppelin three and enema and um uh labor days or bazooka tooth oh probably labor days okay yeah uh yeah right Mm -hmm. and then probably um bazooka tooth's great mm-hmm. i mean but he's a little easier to hear in labor day mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> yeah actual, for sure his actual words come through a little easier mm-hmm. uh, and then um i would say yeah what yeah. tool so, album so did you pick it. oh i i would say enema okay yeah okay. yeah that's i mean i love all of them mm-hmm. but that one that one is a little tighter to me mm-hmm. in in some respects in a good sort of way but uh that and then Beethoven's Ninth Symphony or something like that. I mean, that's the one that I like so mm-hmm. much. And then, I don't know what the fourth one would be. Well, Beastie Boys. Oh, Beastie Boys. Boys. Oh, Paul's yeah. Boutique. Probably your check your head. It'd okay. Be Paul's Boutique. That's probably my favorite yeah, one. Yeah. yeah. I really like Hello Nasty, but uh, Paul's Boutique is like iconic. Yeah. You totally. know. Yeah. Maybe check your head. One of the two. Mm-hmm. But yeah, for sure. That. Yeah. I don't know. Okay. I mean, I'm not, I'm not super weird or nothing. Yeah. I that's, I but that's I a good I feel variety. like those are sort of generic, not generic choices, but I feel like those aren't crazy or anything a lot of people are into some shit i never even heard of mm-hmm. but i might want a rat-a-tat album because those are actually good yeah. if i gotta do other shit yeah it doesn't have any lyrics mm-hmm. and i could just like i could listen to the same one 10 times in a row while see now that stuff. was some shit i know about but a lot of people you guys look up rat-a-tat rat-a-tats that's my shit because mm-hmm. i you can listen to it when you're trying to fall asleep or when you're trying to wake up or when you're trying to like write some stuff mm-hmm. because it's it just it just grooves and it doesn't have anything that's too far out of 
whatever mood you want to be in. I think it fits really well with whatever you want. Mm-hmm. They don't have that other song. You're like, oh, I got to skip that shit. Right. That doesn't exist on a Ratatat album. Mm-hmm. That's really great to me. Yeah. Um, and then uh, one food. Shoot. Uh, I mean, I, I, I suppose I'm trying to think of something that's actually, you know, useful for my body and good and all that stuff. So, um, I mean, I don't, I don't love... In that situation, I would probably have to have something with meat and vegetables, mm-hmm. and I would probably just have to, you know, I, I'm such a utilitarian. I was, I'm not gonna pick like, fucking birthday cake and filet mignon and shit. Okay. <laughs> like I'm gonna have something that, so I'm gonna have like three green vegetables, and, and a uh, some like asparagus and, and a salad with uh, some kale and shit in it, <laughs> stuff that no one else would want. Okay. Like, that's what I need. What type of protein? I think I'd get sick of salmon. Okay. So I think I'd have to have chicken or something. Okay. Even though I don't like to have chicken at, mo- at most meals. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not a big meat eater all the time because I try to have a variety of types of protein. Okay. But I feel like that would probably be the most useful way to do my shit. Mm. But I like uh, my mom's enchiladas. If I just had to have one meal, uh-huh. I would just want my mom's enchiladas. Okay. That's hard. Yeah. So that's the two completely different answers. Yeah. I like it. I like it. Yeah. yeah okay. So, yeah, you know, we appreciate you coming out. Do you have any shout-outs you want to give? Oh, I mean, I, you know, my company's name is Blair Media. Brick Madness is coming out soon. we got another movie called Better that is coming out soon, uh, which is about diabetes. That's about um, health and wellness and how many people are dying from diabetes and obesity. So that's going to be super important. That's coming out, like, May time. Um, those are the two projects I care the most about right now. And... Uh, the, the, the last shout out would be like hey when you go on social media try to find things to agree about mm. that's it try okay. to find ways to be like yeah I see you cool I'm with you on that nice. and if you have to dig down all the way to the bottom of who you are as a human and be like I don't want other people to die then maybe you just start there maybe you, maybe you get rid of D's and R's and shit like that and C's and and else, like you don't talk about any of those labels anymore for a while. Maybe you fuck off with all that and you just be like, hey, I care about humans and you care about humans in the way that you do. So let's at least agree on that. Mm-hmm. That's my shout out. It's like, don't okay. fucking argue about shit you can't win. That's mm. stupid. Okay. Good stuff. Good stuff. So where can they find you on the internet? Uh, I'm not on Instagram super all the time, but mm-hmm. um, on at Justin Makes Movies. So that's there, and then uh, hit me up on Facebook. I'm the only Justin McAleese in maybe the world. Okay. I don't fucking know. There's none other in America that I can tell. Mm. If you if you type in Justin McAleese, J-U-S-T-I-N-M-C-A-L-E-E-C-E, mm. I'm the first 500 things to pop up. Oh, wow. Tight. Yeah, mm-hmm. because there's none other of me. Nice. As far as I can tell, except for... A, dude that used to be in Ireland <laughs> prime minister shout outs to Ireland yeah he's got, his name's spelled differently though so it don't okay. count anyway that's that yeah. yeah so find me on Facebook friend me even if you don't know me I don't care about that that'll be fun and you can see all my random ramblings and shit on there hey. trying to get people to agree here we go cool yeah man and to you man for having me on this is a lot longer and uh, more in depth than I thought mm-hmm. and I get to spit a bunch of shit that's in my head that um you know, my girlfriend's already tired of, so. Yeah, yeah. Shout out to Courtney. No, she's not tired of it. She likes it more than she pretends. And she pretends a lot. So. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. So with that, you could be anywhere on the internet. 
but you're here with us and we appreciate that. Catch us again next week. Same BS time, same BS channel. Once again, this some shit I just thought of y'all. Scientific fiction that's not admissible in no court of law. I'm out of here like Vladimir from the surface to the stratosphere. James Drill's over and out. Peace. Yep.